0: The road to power is paved with hypocrisy and casualties.
1: You can't talk about economics without talking about power. Who's got it, who wants it, and what might they be willing to do to get it? And in the past year, the idea of taking back control has taken on a power of its own.
2: Don't worry, we'll take our country back very soon.
1: The UK is one of the most centralised countries in the world with London dominating decisions. But is devolution changing that? Who has the illusion of power and who has the real thing?
3: Proximity to power deludes some into the believing they wield it.
1: And as we vote again on the 4th of May in another round of local elections, could we be on the brink of power becoming more distributed?
0: I look at Westminster and the system of government we've had for centuries in this country. It's left us with a very unequal country.
1: Manchester, Liverpool, and a few other parts of England will also be voting to have their own mayor for the first time. But with low turnouts for local elections the norm, should people be paying more attention this time around? Or are people understandably sceptical about what devolution means for them?
3: You might very well think that. I couldn't possibly comment.
1: My name's Aisha Thomas-Smith, and welcome to the Weekly Economics Podcast, where this week we're talking power and devolution. Stay with us. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, the Honourable Gentleman is absolutely right. Today, of course, we do give effect to the democratic decision of the people of the United Kingdom who voted uh, for us to leave the European Union. So, normally we kick off with big stories from the last seven days, Uh, but I think we can all agree that probably there was just one headline that stood out uh, above all the rest last week. Article 50 has been triggered, and our departure from the EU has begun. So we did a full episode here on the podcast about Article 50 two weeks ago that you can uh, all check out. But we thought we'd start this episode with a quick chat with Mark Steers, Chief Executive of the New Economics Foundation, about the implications of the events of last week. Welcome back to the podcast, Mark. Thanks. Lovely to be here. Things have changed a bit. I'm actually a different person. So (laughs) it's very exciting. So a while back, I chatted to Laurie and Stephen about the practicalities of Article 50, but now it's actually been triggered so, Mark, what do you think are the political implications of this process starting?
0: It's one of the biggest political events of our lifetime, or you know, actually for probably since the Second World War. Uh, it, it's going to shape and reshape every aspect of British life over the next two years and for many years beyond. Um, so, I mean, no one could be sure. It's uh, horrifically uncertain. Uh, it's very dangerous for lots of people involved, not least for EU citizens who are currently living in the UK and who've made their life here and have had their families here. Uh, it's uncertain economically. It'll be uncertain for the character of our country. So, kind of hold on to your seats and uh, and see what happens, and let's hope for the best.
1: Okay, so a bit of a roller coaster we've Impressive. got we've got coming. Uh, what do you think are the biggest risks for the country now that we're packing up and leaving the EU?
0: I think there are kind of both short-term and long-term risks you know that I- immediately people are going to feel sort of poorer and more economically strained and we know that already In- inflation is going up uh, people's wages are stagnant it's going to become harder to do business and all of those things have very everyday very real impacts upon you know sort of people's uh, sort of households budgets and, and and that's real and and it's serious and it will probably get worse uh, but also, I think there's a kind of big long-term question about the kind of country we're building. You know, is it going to be a country which ceases to put the interests of everybody uh, first? Or, or is it going to be the kind of country which works for, you know, the big banks, for the hedge funds, perhaps for some of the big corporations, uh, but does nothing for anybody else? And, you know, biggest anxiety I guess I've got is that if we think about where the government wants to head, it wants to head to a sort of low-tax, low-regulation haven off the coast of continental Europe, uh, competing with Europe uh, in a race to the bottom. Uh, and that can't be good for any of the people that we here at NEF care so passionately about, and it can't be good for our environment either.
1: Okay, so so those of us that share that anxiety with you, um, what do you think we should all be doing?
0: I think the, you know, the, the, the key thing is to, we, we've got to get on with the fights and the struggles that we've been uh, sort of fighting for, for for many years. I mean, in that sense, You know, you and I aren't unfortunately going to be in the negotiating room. So we're not going to be around the table, you know, with the the red boxes or whatever else they have uh, as they do the arguments. But we can continue to make a real difference now on everything from protecting environmental regulations when the government tries to rip those up to uh, you know, joining our local housing group and campaigning for community-organized housing, uh, to uh, getting out there and protecting the rights of workers if the government threatens those, uh, to doing the work that we've done for a very long time here of trying to make access to finance easier for those people who are setting up social enterprises or small businesses. So whether it be related to European Union or not related to the European Union, The struggle for social justice and the struggle for environmental sustainability goes on. And really, I think, I guess I just think it's incumbent on all of us to fight that little bit harder, uh, campaign that little bit more often, um, you know, sort of get out and about and make the case as loudly as we can, because it's never been more important than now to have the progressive view heard loud and clear in every corner of this country.
1: Great. You've given us a lot to be thinking about and, uh, and plotting. Thanks so much for joining us, Mark. Lovely to be here. So, devolution has been a big theme in the last few decades of British politics and it's now almost 20 years since the creation of the Northern Irish Assembly, the Welsh Assembly and the Scottish Parliament. The London Assembly and the position of London Mayor were created at the same time and in a month's time Manchester and Liverpool, among others, will vote for their first directly elected mayors. The march of devolution continues, devolution? devolution? we'll get into that at some point, with George Osborne's Northern Powerhouse and Philip Hammond's less catchily titled Midlands Engine. They're meant to be part of a plan to redistribute economic power as well as decision-making power, but do people across the country actually feel like they have more power over their lives? Has power been distributed from Westminster to deal with problems like the North-South divide, or has the devolution revolution been a bit of a letdown? To tackle the big subject of power and evolution this week, we're joined by some new faces from NEF. First up, we have the new Economics Foundation's Principal Director of Communities and Localities, Rachel Lawrence. That's a bit of a mouthful. Have you got that on a business
2: card? (laughs) I have. It just
1: about fits. Fits in your pocket. (laughs) Nice to have you with us, Rachel. Thank you. And we've also got Annie Quick, who leads on NEF's work on inequality and well-being. Hello. Hi, Annie. How's your well-being? Uh, it's alright thanks, thank you Good, I would hope so I would hope so. Uh, and we've got Laurie back From his sick bed. how are you doing Laurie?
3: Uh, I'm doing better than I was last week um, Yes, thanks for your concern
1: No that's alright, it's <laughs> nice to have you back And we're quite close to the loo so don't worry So, first of all Rachel, devolution Is a little
2: bit of a jargon term um, So could you just define For us um, exactly what it is Well the devolution agenda that we've been seeing has been sort of bubbling away for a few years now. Um, George Osborne back in, um, well, back in 2011, um, Manchester and Greater Manchester started to negotiate to get a, a devolution deal um, to devolve the ability to spend, uh, to, to make decisions about their spending their own spending power on certain um, certain budget lines. So the things that they've gone for have been health and social care, um, transport and a number of other areas. Um Other cities followed suit, so in the years after 2011, Sheffield, Bristol, Nottingham and several other cities across the UK also embarked on a process to to negotiate a devolution deal with central government. It didn't just start in 2011, though. This this was based on um, previous set of deals that cities had already started negotiating with central government called city growth deals, where essentially a city um, authority would would ask for certain powers and certain bits of money to invest in, in transport or in other big infrastructure projects in return for guaranteeing that they would achieve economic growth um, as a result of those investments. So in a way, the devolution agenda has just been... Um, the city growth deals writ large, and um, uh, with with the recent addition of of the idea of mayors and combined authorities as a prerequisite for cities to get devolution powers.
1: Okay, so you so you mentioned economic growth there.
4: What is why is devolution important to the UK economy? So um, devolution, in theory, is supposed to be part of rebalancing uh, the UK's economy away from London. So this is something we've been working on for a long time at the New Economics Foundation, highlighting the extent of inequality between uh, London and the rest of the country. And it's worth saying how exceptional this is. I mean, I've lived in this country all my life. So I kind of assume that the capital city is, is where um, so much economic um, activity is concentrated. But actually, it's, it's really not normal. We're a massive outlier um, compared to uh, most countries around the world. Um, the problem is um, that uh part of the devolution debate or we did some analysis a couple of years ago looking at how devolution is talked about and the overwhelming reason given for devolution is about increasing economic growth in other parts of the country and actually what what that's saying is that yes we're we're decentralising power but actually the most important decision which is what we want to achieve what what economic outcomes we want is actually not being um, distributed so the decision making over that doesn't seem to be being distributed to local areas let alone local Local people. So, control over what I think is the single most important question in economics, which is what do we want? What do we want the economy to achieve? Is completely missing so far from the devolution debate. So, this kind of economic growth at all costs is um, uh, absolutely dominating the conversation.
3: I think another thing, maybe just to add to, to build on that, Annie talked about how divided the UK economy is and the big uh, sort of regional divides between London and other parts of the country. Um, and it's worth just mentioning the context that we're in, and that might be actually getting going to get worse in the future, given that many of the places that haven't been doing well in recent decades that have been kind of left behind have been some of the places that have benefited from some of the most EU regional development funding. Uh, and obviously, with the prospect of leaving the EU, it's likely that that will dry up, and that will give us sort of a further impetus to thinking about, um, you know, how how do we sort of decentralise power? How do we get uh, the UK more as a more sort of balanced functioning economy? And
4: the, the real concern, I guess, is that um, under devolution, this problem might actually get worse. So, because local areas um, have a lot of pressure on them to increase um, local economic growth. The easiest way to do that is to invest in highly skilled, high tech industry. And actually, if we look at the issues with the UK, they're issues of in work poverty, um, they are issues of uh, uh, insecure work at the bottom of the income distribution. So, actually, um, those by focusing on those high skilled jobs, actually, what you're likely to do is just um, create gentrification. So, people are likely to move into city centres. So, even if it looks like economic activity has increased, you've actually not improved anybody's lives. All you've done is move move people around the country. Um, So focusing really on what people want out of the local economy is crucial. And and people often want quite similar things. So um, we've worked for a long time at um, at NEF talking to people about what they want the economy to achieve. Um, The things that people want are good health, they want good lives for their children, they want well-being, they want um, uh, fairness and equality. Um, And those things are really missing from the sort of headline devolution debates at the moment.
1: Okay, so that's where we're at at the moment. We're focusing on um, economic growth and perhaps we should be looking at other things. Um, As we talked about earlier, uh, local elections are going to be happening around the country in a month's time um, and a few areas are going to be electing some mayors. So what exactly is going on with that
2: Um, and is this an example of more devolution of powers? So the thing with mayors is quite interesting. So as we've heard, we had the first of all, we had the idea that city growth deals would be a good idea to get a, a city regional authority, a local authority to say, okay, can we have some more money to, to build some railways or roads? Um, and we promised that we're going to deliver um, higher economic growth as a result of that. That then evolved into people saying, Well, actually, could we have a more formal devolution deal where you actually devolve whole whole budgets and whole whole bits of spending power? And at that point, uh what what central government was asking in return for that was um, not only that, that local areas would deliver economic growth, but that they would do certain other things as well, including have a mayor and um, come together in combined authorities. So that it wouldn't just be one local authority or one city authority going for the devolution deal, it would be a, a collection of them around a city region. So both the idea of having combined authorities and the idea that there should be an elected mayor was very much something that that central government uh, uh, said was, was their kind of prerequisite for areas getting more power. Um, to a certain extent, I think there was a sense that um, that would be somehow more accountable, that local people would be able to elect the mayor. It's not clear, though, that the mayors are actually going to have a huge amount of power, really, over decisions about spending. So it's, it, it remains to be seen actually how powerful those mayors are going to be. There's been a lot of contention in some areas about whether the existing local authorities really want a mayor or whether existing local authorities that have managed to come together and say, yes, we will be a combined authority, we'll try and work together, whether they really want to be um, headed up by one single mayor. If you think about some areas like Bristol, um, where the party that may be in power uh, within the council in, in Bristol is not necessarily the same party that's in power in, in the councils in an, uh, around Bristol, it's difficult for them to get together and agree who you know who should therefore be the mayor of the whole of that wider area mm. um so it, i think it's going to be an interesting space to watch how what the mayors actually do what they represent but for the places that are going for it um, they that having elections coming up birmingham manchester um w- what it will definitely do is create a bit of a a media buzz around around those the issues that people are facing in the area it might it might create an opportunity to um, to push some push some ideas up the agenda, not, you know beyond just the growth the growth question. Um, so we'll we'll sort of have to see how that goes. And I think what what it really brings out, the question of mayors, is, is devolution about democracy and power and devolving power and having a different kind of system and an elected mayor and people getting a chance to hold them to account or her to account? Or is it about trying to trying to run the economy slightly differently and rebalance? how growth is delivered across geographically across the UK. And actually those are two quite different things. And the people who are responsible for delivering those in central government and local government are slightly different departments. And so the problem at the moment is evolution of the gender is that those things are all kind of wrapped up together when it's not actually clear that um, that they should that they really um, effectively belong together is that, that mm. well or that, that it's been managed very effectively in this process.
1: So it, it all sounds quite complicated, as you said, lots of things being uh, meshed up together. Um, are there any examples of when devolution
2: actually works? I think the, the interesting thing that we should get clear at this point is that there's 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 a question about should, should decision making be decentralised? And broadly, for, for a long time, the New Economics Foundation has been of the view that it should be in all sorts of ways, that all sorts of bits of the economy should be decentralised. A lot of our work on banking, a lot of our work on um, um, how parts of you know in, um, economic sectors work is to say they should be decentralised. They shouldn't all be concentrated in one place, in one part of the country. And certainly power, we think, should be decentralised. People should have control over decisions that affect their daily lives in a meaningful way. Um, and there's lots of parts of the world that have tried out different ways of having decentralised power, um, and different systems to do that the devolution agenda specifically that 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 is what people mean when they you know when they talk devolution at the moment in the, in england particularly is one particular way of decentralizing that power which as we've seen as as we've discussed already is is not necessarily really actually about decentralizing power it's about it's about uh, you know upping pro- upping productivity essentially across the region so um i don't know we should talk about some of the some of the other models of decentralization that we have seen i mean so germany is an example that gets that gets around a lot it has quite a federalized system it has um a number of, of states that are quite large that have um, that have authorities within within the state who have quite a lot of tax-raising power who have quite a lot of economic decision-making power who have um, uh, quite direct uh, are quite directly accountable to their to, to their population who elect them in um, and the economy itself is quite decentralized in Germany there's a very decentralized um, sort of an industrial sector there's a very decentralized banking sector that sort of goes along with that and um I mean, it, we probably should also talk about Scotland and the devolution that's happening there. Does coming come in on that?
3: Yeah, I think well, I think Scotland's a, um, certainly an interesting e- example. And obviously, on the one hand, um, uh, there are <clears throat> there are differences in the sense that we're talking about a fully devolved um, you know parliament, and also the fact for a long time Scotland has had a you know, separate legal system and education system, etc. But I certainly think that since you had devolution uh, in 1999, um, I think the feeling of most people is that it has. Uh, brought power closer to uh, to the response to the needs uh, and specific interests of, of issues in Scotland um, and there's been lots of things So just to give one example very soon after the the Parliament was devolved there was quickly uh, some some action on on land reform which has been an issue in Scotland for for a long time but it wasn't until there was a sort of dev- dev- devolution of power where people could actually to uh, act on that and it's something that that is um, that there is there's a particular need there. Um, and also across other things like education and health, there has been a sort of a different path taken. Um, obviously, I think a lot of people would want want more to be done, but nonetheless, I think there are lessons to be drawn from that when we're talking about the the, the devolution path throughout the rest of the UK. Yeah.
2: I think the real question is how meaningful is it? Are you devo- are you pretending to devolve power, but actually not really devolving meaningful decisions, or are you actually devolving meaningful decisions? And and that's that's what makes or breaks whether it, whether it's going to work to actually decentralise the economy and power. Mm
1: if you guys were directing the
2: devolution agenda what would you do next so i i think the 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 biggest things would be you can't really devolve power unless you also decentralize the economy if you have a really centralized banking system you have a historic imbalance in how the economy works in the uk you're sort of you're starting from from a starting point of huge imbalance unless you do something about that Devolving power—it feels—it is actually a bit meaningless unless you really—if you unless you start decentralising the economy. So that's the first thing you'd have to do. Second thing is, if you're really serious about decentralising power probably you shouldn't run a devolution process from the top down. So one of the big problems or the criticisms that's been leveled at the current devolution process is um, that basically the terms have been set by central government. Central government said, this is how what we think should happen with the economy. These are what we think the priorities are. If you as a region can do it better than we would have done it, harder, faster, quicker than we would have done it, you can have the power. And that's not really, you know, they are setting the outcomes in the first place. At the moment, the devolution deals that have happened, so Manchester and Sheffield and and other places that we've been doing devolution deals, have not actually done them in a particularly democratic way in terms of ordinary local people getting a say in what goes into those deals. So they've been characterised by quite a sort of but, you know, behind closed doors, deal making and decision making, rather than things like citizens assemblies, or kind of more open forms of decision making, where ordinary people actually get to kind of vote or discuss or have any kind of input into what the deals are. So I think that would be another really, really big thing to sort of do.
1: So on that, do, do people actually want that? Do people want to be involved in participatory democracy? Or do they kind of just want others to get on with it for them?
2: A lot of the work that NEFT does at the moment, a lot of the work that I do I've been doing the last few months um, has been around community-led economic development and all across the UK uh, broadly that there are so many communities out there who are really, really trying to change how the economy works for them and and care about it very deeply and feel that electing uh, a councilor or an MP um, every few years, is not enough for them Um, it is not delivering the kind of change that they want to see and so they're actually getting stuck in themselves I think if you look at look at it that way if you look at the communities who actually are what communities are getting involved with which generally is changing trying to change how the economy works for them there's a massive appetite to change things I think the trouble is that people have lost faith in the democratic system to do that. And that's why you see low levels of turnout. Rachel, I'm depressed. Can <laughs> you please give me something to cling to? Something to cling to. Well, the first thing is there is there are there are amazing ideas out there in communities. There is such knowledge and wisdom and ideas about how we could actually do the economy better. So I would say watch this space. And over the next five years, that there's going to be so much bubbling up from the ground um, that we'll solve all the problems. Mm-hmm. And the really big thing to close on is what we really need to get to grips with ultimately, and and people don't say this clearly enough, is that basically there is a contradiction, that that there are two different things that we are trying to achieve with devolution and with how we run the economy that are not necessarily compatible. One is we want to devolve power and we want to grow the economy to increase the UK's productivity and close the UK trade deficit. And there's a bunch of economic strategies that you can put in place that make that happen. Mm. The other goal you could be going for is we want to develop E- economies and economic strategies that make the economy livable and uh you know generate high levels of well-being and there's a set of economic strategies you can put in place that make that happen the trouble is the one doesn't necessarily need to be the other and at some point we have to decide what is it we're going for and how do we how, how do we make both of those things happen at the same time
1: okay Great stuff, so we know what we're aiming for, at least. That's good, that's good. So thank you, Rachel, Annie, and Laurie for joining me to chat about devolution.
0: We have a productivity problem in the UK, generally. If we are to invest in anything, why, why, why should it be nuclear power? Why should it be a high-speed railway? Why can't we invest in our children?
1: So finally, this week, we're going to be having a quick chinwag about the stories we should all be looking out for in the coming weeks in a segment I like to call, What's Coming Up? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, guys. So, Laurie, what have you got for us? What should we be looking out for?
3: Well, um, if you're somebody sad like me who keeps an eye out on uh, economic statistic releases, uh, which you're probably not, but nonetheless, uh, this week we have the ONS publishing the new productivity statistics, which sounds awfully boring, but nonetheless, uh, the Chancellor has been making a big deal about this because it's well known that the UK is you know, lagging uh, well behind other, other countries. And, and back in, um, I think it was the autumn statement, Philip Hammond said that it takes a German worker four days to produce what we produce in five, and he's going to change this. But what's interesting is that uh, today we've had some reports from people saying that the main culprits of this, uh, of this issue in the UK with low productivity has actually been uh, banks and management consultants, um, mm. both of which um, uh, the, the Treasury certainly are, are big fans of. So it'll be interesting to see what these figures contain and see if there's any truth in that.
1: Annie, have you got anything a bit cheerier? No, I <laughs> <laughs> <They> never
4: do. <laughs> but I've got something I think is really interesting, if that'll do. Yeah, that's great. Go. So go, um, go. the Public Accounts Committee came out this week, um, arguing that uh, school funding is reaching crisis point, and um, that schools aren't adequately able to do their job on the money that they've got, and that quality is beginning to be compromised, and that that is going to get worse with government proposed funding cuts, which are effectively funding cuts per pupil in, in real terms. Um, I think this is particularly interesting alongside the conversations we've been having Having over the last couple of months about grammar schools which I think really put into focus um, issues around inequality and social mobility in the UK so um, Prime Minister Theresa May was very clear in those debates that what she cares about is not reducing inequality she was very clear that she doesn't um, care about reducing inequality um, what she cares about is creating a quality of opportunity so um, an extreme version of that would be I guess we you know we don't need to worry about soaring wealth at the very top or widespread um, poverty at the bottom as long as everybody's got kind of an equal chance to take the 11 plus and and, and make it to the big time. Um, So even if I agreed with that ethically, which I definitely don't, um, it just makes no sense in policy terms. So so, um, all the research suggests that if you want a country with high levels of social mobility, where your future life chances aren't defined by the family you happen to be born into, um, then you need to have a country with lower levels of overall um, inequality. So places like Finland, Canada, Japan, those countries that are more equal are also places in which uh, where you end up in life um, is less determined than um, by, by where you start in life, whereas in the UK and the US, um, social mobility is incredibly low. So these have been really interesting debates, I think, um, crucial to, as I say, what we, what we want out of the economy in the UK. Um, so watch this space for, for more interesting conversations coming up, I think.
1: Oh my God, Rachel, save us, save us with something, <laughs> something cheery.
2: Well, I was just going to talk a bit about, uh, you know, in the next coming months, there is going to be, we we, are, we will see the uh, mayoral elections happening in a few cities across the UK. And I think uh, what I am going to be looking out for, and I encourage people to look out for, is uh, what different mayors are going to say in their manifestos about how they propose to make the economy in their area um deliver benefits to ordinary people Uh, and um, they'll probably talk about inclusive growth we've heard a lot of talk recently about inclusive growth the idea that you can have both you can have you can have growth and it can also be good for people but we've heard very little detail on what that means and and how that would actually be delivered and I think that's going to be the million dollar question that we all need to be asking mayors and other uh, other decision makers in the next couple of months so that's what I think people should be looking out for.
1: Okay, thanks guys. I feel a bit better. I feel a bit better. <laughs> Off every week after I do the podcast, I hear all the great ideas and it fills me with hope. So that's always nice. Thank you. So we'll be looking out for those stories and we'll hopefully hear more from all of you guys soon. We'll be back with more of the weekly economics podcast next Monday, as usual. If you've enjoyed this episode, please think about leaving us a rating or a review. It only takes a minute and you can do it in most of the podcast apps. um, And it really helps other people to find us and listen to what we do. So thanks to everyone who's left a review so far. We really appreciate it. The weekly economics podcast is produced by Hugh Jordan and James Shield and brought to you by the New Economics Foundation.